0: Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm Dave, and we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things.
1: Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week, it's episode 27. Back in 2007, I watched a movie. Now, keep in mind, I was an ultra runner only for about two, three, four years at that time, and I was getting into the ultra running scene, uh, and I loved it. And I was godsmacked by this movie called uh, Running the Sahara. Now, there was a character in, in, in this movie named Ray Zahab, and he ended up running for 111 days. That was 4,300 miles across the Sahara Desert, and it, it struck me as being something that was completely impossible. But yet here's a Canadian ultramarathoner, an extreme athlete doing that. Um, that spurred me on because I thought, well, hey, what's what's possible for me? And I've been running ever since. And and my, you know, uh, my co-host Joe as well, too, has been doing the very same thing, inspired by by, by people like Ray. Now, Ray, ever since, has gone on countless expeditions. Um, he's been across the South Pole, Siberia, you know, the Anakama Desert, to name a few. But basically, he's going on these massive expeditions, one every eight, nine, ten months for the last many, many years. I can't wait to talk to him. And we got him on the other line today. We're super, super stoked to bring Ray Zahab to the call. And uh, thanks for being here, Ray.
2: Hey, thanks, guys. It's an honor to be here among both of you. And uh, Dave, I had no idea you saw Running the Sahara. That's uh, oh, I just such learned a fan. something. That's amazing. That's okay. that's fantastic. It's, you know, that, I'm a fan. Impossible. So hey, I, yeah.
0: I can't even imagine I get to meet a guy that I watched in that movie because I can remember that. I think I watched it three times. It just mm-hmm. it was really actually well done. I mean, in addition to like you know these adventure movies, right? Sometimes can be boring, but you guys the director, producer, whoever really put it together. First, of course, the adventure is great, but the story was so well told. But, well,
2: you know, we, we were lucky. You know, there was, a, there was another movie, a big running movie. I don't know if you guys remember this. It's actually my favorite running movie. It's called Running on the Sun. And
1: yeah, it's a yeah.
2: film that was made about Badwater Ultramarathon before, you know, like with all the old schoolers, with Marshall Ulrich and Lisa Smith. Yeah. And before it was cool, right? And, um, what I liked about that film is there was a purity about it. The characters that were doing the things that they were doing were not there for 4,000 Instagram likes on a photo. They were there in the middle of Death Valley running on this race you know, on the road, uh, you know, for something very personal. And when running the Sahara, when we did that expedition, which followed a brief ultra running racing career that I had, when we, set out across the Sahara, we had no idea that anyone would care. We thought, I mean, the, 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 the concept of this expedition coming together as part of a film project um, was that it would be leveraged to raise awareness for, for water issues in North Africa. And so I had never, no experience with cameras or with film or anything. So I was like, okay, well, what, I mean, it sounds amazing, right? Obviously I knew who Matt Damon was, but I mean, the rest of it didn't really sort of sink in and then when we we got across the sahara i can remember being in cairo very few i've never actually i don't know if i've ever told this story before being in cairo and the call going out that we had completed this expedition and the first people to try and like verify the story i think it was the toronto star or the globe and mail it was actually canadian paper and they they didn't believe that it was a real story Right. <clears throat> and they, of course, then they found out that there was this film and then, so then they believed it and then they published it. But it goes to show you where we are in right. the mind. Now you guys have both done tons of running and, you know, for Dave to get on a treadmill, how far did you, you ran a hundred. And how many, uh, it's a ridiculous distance in 24 hours. Yeah, so you,
1: 260 kilometers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. 260 kilometers in a 24 hour period. That's like driving mm-hmm. to Montreal and then halfway back again mm-hmm. from Ottawa and yet you can say that now and someone could say, we'll say, hmm, okay, that's believable now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though it's still, I mean, that 260K in 24 hours is pretty still hard to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. The point is, is now in the era of social media and everything else, running this era looks different and it feels different now than what it meant then. You know, And we had no idea it was going to turn into this crazy thing that it turned into, but it was the impetus for everything else that I'm doing now in my life so yeah, we gotta, yeah. We, anyhow sorry i didn't mean to ramble no. on there
0: no no, no, no that's no, great please. that's you know what's interesting um i spent time in cairo in 2008 and 2009 uh and, you know after watching the movie just for a work reason and it was like you know this rock right this then we went down to Sharm and i was running one morning and it was 110 degrees and you know people looking at me like what's the matter with you so I can't even imagine, you know, I've always sort of been interested in the Marathon de Sable because of that sort of inspiration from your movie. But I think that before we get too deep into that, I think one of the things we always really sort of love to hear a little bit is like, it's obvious now what Ray does, but like when you were growing up as a kid, were you like, did you have like, you know, Mallory in your head? Were you dying to be an adventurer? were you a runner? Like, how did it sort of happen that you end up in the Sahara and then many, many more?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I grew up on a, on a, a small horse farm in, uh, the Ottawa Valley with my brother and we were not athletes of Mm -hmm. any stretch in the magic. I mean, you know, we rode horses, we did all those things, you know, but thoughts. So I wanted to be an astronaut, (laughs) you know, I wanted to do other things. You know, I got into, uh, In my, in my teens, I got into street racing. I had an old Camaro that was all souped up. I was doing these others. I had a completely different life, right? And I, um, you know, one thing led to another and and I ended up being a very unhealthy individual. As I grew up, I had a great childhood, like a really good childhood, but amazing parents. But somehow, I mean, you know, you you slip through the cracks or things change Mm -hmm. in your life and you end up on this path. You become very unhappy depressed, unfulfilled, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm barely getting out of high school. I drop out of community college. I just one failure, one unfinished thing after another. And I get to a point where I'm, you know, reaching 30 years of age and I'm just no longer satisfied with where my life was not going, you know? And I was one of these people, excuse me. I was one of these people that could, you know, not look themselves in the mirror, without feeling a sense of guilt because you're portraying everybody. You're the life of the party, right? You're the first one with the most drinks in, you know, but you're just genuinely, that's not who you are. And I was just a very unhappy person. That's where it all started. Yeah, You know, it was with that realization that I was no longer going to survive into my thirties, living the way I was
1: living. You were maybe a bit of an imposter. Um, You know, so, so when I hear that, I mean, I hear the word astronaut. You know, I think about going into the unknown, discovering the unknown. Um, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we all, when we were children, we all, we all kind of know where we, where we want to go. You know, as we get all older, we have all these other, you know, messages and ideas and thoughts and other people whispering in our ear. And you end up going and becoming an accountant. <laughs> and then, you know, we're, we're, we're generally unhappy. And I don't mean anybody who's listening, who's an accountant. I, I value accountants everywhere. I, I we need you people, but you know, there are the people who go out and do the expeditions. And and I, when I think of that, I think of astronauts uh, going out into the, to, to the unknown. Um, so do you think that that that's where that kind of started? And, and maybe you know,
2: it's, you a, it's, a, a
1: it, it's a
2: really great observation, Dave. I mean, it's possible. I think, you know, I was always enamored as a young person um, with, you could use the word outliers before, I think it was before we started recording, you know, the cowboys, you know, that would, that would still in this modern era were living a life that was for sure the life they wanted to live on their terms because nobody else knew that they were living that life. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like Hey, I'm a Marlboro man out here riding the range. And this photo is going to appear on Facebook and everybody's going to get my vibe. It's like, no, you're living out with a bed roll, taking care of cattle in the middle of nowhere for whatever reason that you love to do that, you know? And I think that there was those people, the outliers, but there was also the people there's pivotal moments or snapshots in life that, you know, things that you, remember like i remember clear as day terry fox running across canada you know and i i never thought i would ever be a runner uh no interest really in running or any sports of that matter but i remember that i also remember fast forward in the uh mid 90s i guess it would have been 96 97 seeing eco challenge for the first time Uh and thinking wow that's what are these people doing and that was right around the time that my brother got into doing all this. My younger brother became a really good mountain biker, climber, uh, Ironman triathlete. He was very good at sportsman, all these other new things. And he was, he was so into it that it was changing his life and who he was and he was becoming confident and, and all these things that I was enamored by. I oh, thought, geez, you know, I'm watching this eco challenge. He's talking about doing this kind of stuff. I mean, Maybe, you know, maybe this is the answer. And that's the only reason I got into doing the things that we love is because of him. And, and the, the impression he gave me of how his life was going into a completely different direction uh, based on the things that he was doing. That the more he did that he loved, the more everything else in his life changed around him. And I thought, wow, I mean, you know, it was before all the Anthony Robbins stuff where, you know, or maybe it was around the same time. I don't know. But it's like the whole law of attraction, that whole thing. The like guy was actually seeing it in real time playing out that this guy who I've known my entire life is living a style of life that is in pursuit of things he's passionate about. And in sort of an unrelated but related way, all these other things in his life are changing too. They're just falling into place, you know?
1: Right. So observing that, and then going out and doing something about it is a very different thing. I mean, I, I know of so many people who observe and watch all these great videos on YouTube and on and so forth and, and read up these great articles about these people doing incredible things, um, but then sit back and say, well, that's for somebody else to do. Well, when, when, you, when you went there, when you first had that feeling and thought and idea did you sign up for a marathon? Did you just go out and go for a run? Did you go, like, what was your first step? Do you well, I, I think I think bare
2: bones, like, right down in the root of it, it, pre, like, first life, first 30 years, if you put a bottle of Jack Daniels down, whether it was a Mickey or a 26 or, whatever, or a 40, the whole thing was going to be gone, right? Like, that's just <laughs> the way I was, right? So my head was like... Yeah always wired that way so then when I flipped and my brother started showing me these sports and introduced he introduced me to ice climbing I became an avid ice climber I didn't start ice climbing I went with him because I wanted to try it and it was hard but there was one or two elements that about it that I loved so much like it dawned the very first time he took me climbing I've told this story before I had no idea what I was getting into so we're talking about a 100 foot you know, wall of ice, a frozen waterfall, and, and he's got all the, the ropes on me and the picks and all that. And and it's 30 below. I'm climbing this thing beginning in January 2000. And I'm climbing this thing, barely hanging on. He's, he's top roping, which means the rope goes over the top. And he's got this rig and he's basically holding on to me so I don't kill myself, right? And I'm sweating so much. And there was so much adrenaline from the fear of being on this ice that it was like, terrifying but I liked it at the same time Mm -hmm. and when I got to the top of this ice and he literally was pulling me the last few feet up over this ice right I remember I'll never forget standing on top of that ice and looking down at him and saying to myself this is what it feels like or must feel like to be a Mount Everest summiter and it dawned on me in that moment that when you do something amazing in your life, because I had a string of things that did not feel amazing, but when you do do something amazing, that it's a very relative thing. And -hmm. if this is what life's about, like if it's these things that I'm going to get from being out here doing these, these emotions, this feeling of invincibility is going to come from doing these things, well, I'm going to do more of them. And it just kind of, it just kind of like, Instead of the, I make the joke, the Jack Daniels, you know, it's a, now it's a, it's a head of broccoli and I'm going to eat my way through it, right? So it's like, I, I just, my life changed 180 degrees right away when I started doing these things. And one thing led to another. And the, this idea, my very first running race. so then I, 2000 and 2003, ice climbing in the winter, mountain biking, I started racing mountain bikes. I started racing mountain bikes all over the world, 24 hour solos, cross country racing. And then I went from mountain bike racing and adventure racing into running my very first running race, and it didn't dawn on me that running a hundred miler was not a good idea to start with. I just <laughs> entered it after reading an article, and um, prepared as best I could. I'm fortunate I got the same engine that my brother does. So, was, but you know, not only did I did I finish that first ultra, but I won it, and it and it taught me to never underestimate myself again, and also to not inhibit myself. Now I've become more. Careful in planning my expeditions than just say throwing caution to the wind. Sure. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I answered your question. I got lost there for a
0: minute. No, point. no. Man. Oh, no, that's perfect. It was, that was a beautiful journey. I think that the, I'd love to throw this concept in here, right into the discussion because, so yeah, I think there's a lot of us who would relate to this, whatever we want to call it, excessive compulsive behavior, whatever we point ourselves at. You know, so it might have been in Jack mm-hmm. Daniels or it was adventure racing or we, work too much so that that's sort of innate in us you know but one of the things that we often don't afford ourselves is the permission to go out and and succeed in a way with something new and different and feel that exhilaration and so we often say that's not me you know and we just sit on the couch and we stay there because we don't see ourselves like that so you had a role model in your brother that could help you in its own way sort of by, create an identification for you. But I'd love to sort of see if you had any sense of that, which is like you were then going to give yourself permission to live the life you wanted, not what everyone else sort of maybe had programmed into you, which wasn't that satisfying. Any sense as to whether you felt that or understood that was going on?
2: Well, it's a very interesting theory. I mean, I, I think that... I had spent the first 30 years of my life talking myself out of doing things right. Yep. So like I wouldn't do something cause I was afraid of what someone would think right? or that it for sure was going to end in failure or, you know, it just, there was no point in even trying. Right. Sometimes. So when I started this new journey and again, it's a compressed time period. So, you know, even saying 2000 to 2003, it's three years, it's a long time, right. I started to realize that the cause and effect was a little bit different Mm-hmm. And what I realized mm-hmm. was that I had to make decisions and do things that I felt were right because I had nothing to lose. Yes. I had nothing to lose. So I changed my – instead of my, my philosophy being, well, what's the point in even trying? My philosophy became, well, I got nothing to lose. So I would just go and I would try these things. And I wouldn't even – there was no inhibiting, inhibiting factor like sitting on the couch and not giving myself the permission to go and do the things. I would just kind of like I wouldn't even go through that process. Mm. I would just be like, all right, you know, whatever, let's go. You know, and and I would just go and do these things and ironically and it, and it, and it maybe this is somewhat related to what you're saying, when I finished that first ultra in the Yukon and I it was the Yukon Arctic Ultra, 100-mile event. They have several different events I ran the 100-mile. When I finished that and I crossed the finish line and they told me I'd won that race, I I, I did not believe them. And I don't say that like, haha, funny, I didn't believe that I won. I literally thought it was impossible. Like there had to have been a mistake mm-hmm. that everybody else dropped out or I took a wrong turn or I just could not accept that I was capable of winning something, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it was a very strange mix of feelings, almost like a lack of acceptance that mm-hmm. I was able to do this. But once I did accept it, I am instantly had an insatiable appetite to want to go and do it again, to see, could I do this again? Like, was this possible? Was this just an anomaly? Was this just a weird thing that happened, like a fluke? Because what running taught me in that very first race was that I could exceed mental and physical and emotional limits that I thought I had. I know you guys know this part because you've been there. But it's like, you know if you told me on the start line that I was going to finish this thing, I said, there's no way, there's no way, let alone win it. But I was there to learn something that I felt others knew that had gone before me. That's, that's the only reason I entered the thing. Cause I wanted to learn something. So then, I, so then I started entering these things all over the world. I started mm-hmm. doing these races all over the world. Marathon Day Sav a couple of times, for example, and all, all these different races. And I started pushing myself harder and you know, some races went really well, some races not so good, but I kept learning stuff. And then I started to think, wow, okay, so running is much more than something that I apparently have a passion for and I'm somewhat good at. It's teaching me things that are relevant to everything else in my life.
1: Yeah, limitations and ceilings are a funny thing, aren't they, Ray? Um, you know, we, I find personally, we, we set them in our lives not necessarily for, for, for any, anybody else, but more, more or less for us, um, kind of keeps us in our, in our space of, 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 of being content uh, with, with what we have and what we know, because we, we, we set ourselves out to be either a four, five, or six. Um, but, you know, really, the outliers in the world um, are really living life in the zeros and ones and the nines and the tens. And so, but that's a pretty scary place for the vast majority of people. But I, but like you, um, you know, I've had very similar experiences where you end up coming out from a race and you go, wow, that, that was, that was incredible. And I learned a lot in getting to that. I and mean, if I could do that, what else can I do? And it kind of raises your ceiling. And so do you find now that there, that the ceiling is continually being raised or do you feel that you're, that your bubble is is pretty much, you know. I mean, I mean, I look at your expeditions, and, and they're they're spectacular. And I, 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 for one, scratch my head and go, okay, is there anything bigger than 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 what you're currently doing right now? Is there anything bigger? You know that again. You guys ask such good
2: questions. For me, it's it's and and how do I say this? With I don't want it to sound pretentious. It's never been about big. It's always been about a specific thing that I want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, we broke the world record to the, to the South Pole. That wasn't the intention necessarily in the beginning. We went, the three of us were hiking our way to the South Pole. We're drinking scotch every night. We're having a good time. Three buddies. We just happened to be going really fast. It was about something else. It's like any of the deserts that I've crossed or, you know, granted, um, the projects that I've left towards the end of my career that I still want to do are the more difficult and most difficult ones that are, that are left, you know? And, um i think it's just by virtue of ex- an appreciation of the experience level that i need to be able to do the last things that i want to do that that um in my career that um you know it's taken me this so long to to get there but as far as um it's a strange thing david it's 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 never been uh, there's like this homeostasis like it's always like level it's like yeah, okay, so I did this, and now I'm here, and then I might do this, and it's never like this in my life. It's just kind of like, this is what I do. I love what I do, Mm. but it's not, uh, and the growth happens um, through the lessons that I've learned. I've had a lot of close calls on expeditions. I've had a lot of expeditions go as smoothly as possible. I've had expeditions I couldn't finish, and in every single one, there is a um, knowledge that I take that creates equilibrium across the rest of my life. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, like, do you know yeah I mean?
0: for, for sure. And I think that I just want to put a pin in this one point for our listeners, which is that let's all remember what, how Ray started, right? He sounds like more of the normal people, normal people than this amazing explorer. He just decided you were going to start to live differently and you were going to find out. I always sort of like when I set out on my sixth continent, I ran a marathon, six continents, six days. Everyone asked me about it and I said, just let me go find out. I just want to find out. It'll it be hard. Will it work? I don't know, but I got to go find out. So all of us should just go find out. Let's mm-hmm. make that the ask of ourselves. Don't know the outcome. It's going to be good because we'll learn something. And I think yeah. it's happening over and over to our, our guests as we go through this, which is that that's the pin that they put in it. They said, I want to go find out. And then from there, we can then draw the curve any way we want. We can make it the last time is the first, or we can make it a lifetime of adventure. But, but let's do that. I think that's a key.
2: I think it's, it could not be said better. That's exactly, exactly bang on.
1: And so, yeah, Because really what, what, what creates success, right? Um, you know, and what is success? Because some, sometimes I, I don't know, Ray, and maybe this is the next question is that, you know, you know, sometimes your, your, your greatest success, you might not de- deem as your greatest success, but you might think your greatest failure was, was your greatest success. Was there a, was there an expedition or was there something that you've done where everybody else is, Oh, Ray, I'm so sorry. It didn't work out. And you're like, no, 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 no. I learned so, so very much from, from this expedition or this, this, this disaster that happened. And, oh. you know, and that, that was, that was a typical <laughs> turning point for, for me in my life. Was there any one of those moments?
2: There, there has been so many, but yes. I will, I'll start by saying this and, and it's more of a personal one that, that very few people know about when, when we started the running the Sahara expedition, so I would have been 2006. I don't know how old I would have been 30, 37 37 or 38 years old no money I had nothing debt I had I just was in horrible shape not horrible shape physically I mean I just you know had very little just married and I was very concerned about having things and what I, was I going to do like how was I going to you know I need to make a living we need to buy a house because we want to have kids and we want to do all these things that normal people do you know. And as we were running across the Sahara, we started to come into these small communities. Well, most of this isn't in the film, but in Niger and Mali, especially, and even in southern Libya, very, very small communities where people were like just so happy that we were there. Like, I mean, there's just it's crazy things happen. These, these three dummies are running through town. Let's go and hang out with these guys. And you know, a town of a hundred people would get together and they would, you know, insist that we stay, we're going to have some food and just observing, this happened more than once, amazing meals shared with people and all the families, you see the kids running around and everybody's having a good time. And we're so much more similar than we are different. And I'm learning all of this. And as I'm learning and Mohammed Iksa, who led our expedition, and through interpretation, we would communicate and talk with him. And what I was really picking up, the sense and vibe I was picking up, the lesson I was taking, was that the things I thought I needed were the least important in the hierarchy Mm -hmm. of what would be a fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. That these people had food, health, clean water, and family. They had those things. And because those things were all good, it was a cause for celebration, right? right? And it changed my perspective. It was heavy. It was a very heavy situation because it 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 was life-altering perspective change when I came home from that on how I would look at things after that. And I'd be less consumed about the things that I thought were so critical. It's all relative to each of us in our lives, so everybody's got to make their own decisions. But for me personally, it changed the perspective on what I needed to do in my life to be at a place. Where I could be truly happy, right? And then to more directly answer your question, I've had a couple of expeditions. I mean Kemchaka was a great one. I attempted to cross the Kemchaka Peninsula in Far East Russia. It's a giant chunk of land that looks like Florida. It hangs off the eastern side of Siberia, sort of between Alaska and the Russian mainland.
0: And this was one of
2: those expeditions that I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to put this one out there a few years, and it's going to take lots of planning, permissions, visas, all kinds of stuff, because I'd been to Russia before on expeditions. I knew it was going to be complicated, logistically, very complicated. So four years of basic planning to get to this expedition. And the year I didn't do it solo, I did it with an Italian guy named Stefano Gregoretti, just a great adventure. And the year we decided to do this was one of the warmest on record in the region that we were going to go. Mm-hmm. When we started the expedition, which is a whole other story of how we even got to the western side of Kamchatka, I won't bore you guys with the details, but when we finally got there, literally in the middle of nowhere, it was 50 below, the ocean was frozen, so all the salt water was frozen along the coast, and I thought, okay, we've got this thing. As long as it stays 50 below and the snow's about a foot deep, we're going to cruise, because we planned on using river systems the entire way to get across Kamchatka. If I bore you here at any point, stop me no so we're on these river systems and exactly on the route that we had planned that was going to be triple the distance of the width of Kamchatka because the rivers do this right it's a it's a you're not above the tree line until you hit the mountains so it's a lot like canada essentially so we get into the we get inland i don't know maybe i don't even know 60 100 kilometers on foot at this point not in a straight line but doing this And the snow depth goes from a foot to a meter and a half. And in this central part of Kamchatka, they had an exceptionally warm winter, followed by a freeze and a meter and a half of snow. So all the rivers that we had been previously skiing on now had about an inch of ice covered in snow. It was completely insulated. And even though it's 50 below, 40 below, it's not freezing. So travel on rivers became impossible. So we had to start hauling our sleds through the woods, through the bush, up and down. De- I mean, dense, crazy bush. It was insane. The snow was so deep that we'd have to drop our sleds, which weighed over 100 pounds each, ski forward, 3K, come back, 3K, pick up the sleds, come forward, 3K. So you'd do 9K to get 3K net. And so mm. we burned through all our food. And by day 19, Now realizing that we were gonna have to accept a resupply, we came to the first accessible point after crossing a mountain range, thousands of feet up through two avalanche zones. um, Anyhow, that's again, another story. We get up to the top of these mountains, day 19, and we meet our photographer, a buddy of mine, John, who had come up the other end of this mountain range on snow machines with these hunters. And he said, listen, you gotta talk to these guys when you get down the other side of these mountains. I said, What's going on? He said, oh, you got to talk to these guys. You got to talk. I said, all right. Skied down the other end of these mountains. We're now over two thirds, like three quarters of the way across Kamchatka. We figure we have dodged so many bullets by this point. Let's just barrel it out to the coast. But as we descend from these mountains, it's getting warmer and warmer. Bottom of the mountains, it's three degrees Celsius. Everything, it's February, three degrees Celsius. Everything is melting. The ponds are open that we see around us in the mountains. The rivers are flowing. And I had a sinking feeling in my gut that I knew what they were going to tell us. So we get down there and these hunters all get together and there's a couple of climbers there too. They knew the mountains and they said, listen, uh, bad news. You guys can't move forward anymore. It's over because the rivers are all open along the coast. It's just, you're talking rivers, kilometers wide, braids of rivers. And instantly I knew when they were saying this and explaining it to me in broken English, right? I knew the expedition was over. But at the same time, I was also very comfortable with that decision because I knew what we had been through to this point to get to this point in this expedition, Mm -hmm. given the conditions that we were dealt with that year, Mm -hmm. that it was already a monumental success personally for the both of us. And Mm -hmm. that risking others' lives for some narcissistic endeavor to have to get to the other side wasn't worth it. We weren't going to put ego in front of good decisions on an expedition. And, and, and there was no way I was going to have somebody have to come up there in a helicopter risking their lives to pluck us. Cause we were too stubborn and didn't listen to the indigenous hunters of the area. So I turned to Stefano. I said, you know, the expeditions, oh, I, this is, this is what it is, what it is, dude. And, and we packed it up and, you know, it took us two days to ski out to a point where we, I mean, two more days hauling stuff in, in, in miserable weather, when you know it's over just to get to a point where we could get picked up by a six-wheel drive giant truck. So we get back and I start. I post on social media this this story of what happened and, you know, what we did. And I had so many people, Dave, ask me the exact question. You must have been so disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? It was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life because I learned that not everything is predictable. I've had a run of amazing expeditions and successes every now and then. If you're not cranking it, if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not testing yourself, then things go perfectly all the time. You gotta have times like this, because with times like this, you have times like this. And that gap between them makes the times like this feel even bigger, you know? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, it um, it is one of the sort of dilemmas that you have all the time, which is, you know, are you gonna live to fight another day or are we going to sort of put it all out there? And there's a judgment that says sometimes not, maybe in that circumstance when we push, a little harder and then we're happy we made it to the end and other times so there is a lot of intuition i think that comes in at that moment more than anything else and glad you made that decision because it seems like uh you know again telling it in reverse it probably was really not the simplest thing even though it was clear mm-hmm. because you can sort of probably go through all of those ideas oh maybe i could go and here's the way we oh can- we went through we did we
2: did right. the two hours of that we did two yeah. hours of that mm-hmm. where it's more of a exercise in psychology of the moment than it is in anything that we would actually do. Right. It's exactly. just a way, but you know, I've been on expeditions guys. I had one in, uh, you know, the, 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 two biggest, you know, non-completes. That's one. the other one was an expedition that I finished, but it was broken up in three stages across the Canadian Arctic. And in the very first stage in February, January, or maybe January, or February, 2016, I think it was, I can't remember. It was a while ago. I broke through an ice. Uh, through an uh, ice uh, overflow on a river way up in the mountains in the Arctic and almost died, quite literally almost died, almost got pulled underneath ice and rapids and way down. And I was in this water for two minutes. Whew. Stefano and I were together on this expedition as well. He couldn't get close to me because everything was collapsing. And um, when I went in that river, I thought to myself, this is how I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my family again. That was the only thing that came into my mind. And a much longer story, but I, through struggling and trying to get my snowshoes off, my snowshoe crampon hooked the side of this hole in a really weird angle. And I was able to push myself up onto the edge of the overflow and roll out into the snow. Mm. And when that happened, I'll, I'll never forget laughing. I was laughing because I survived this moment that everything broke down into increments, very thinkable and measurable increments. And it was like I have Hit a reset switch in my brain that minutes ago, I was never going to see my family again. Now I'm going to see my family again, but I may lose my feet because my boots, I can't change. I have a down suit, but I don't have any more boots. So I got to wear these boots for the next two days until I can get to a point where we can get picked up. So these are going to freeze to my feet. I'm probably going to lose my feet, but I didn't care because I was going to see my family again. Like it just, it priorities, right? Like everything was... And so it was both the most terrifying thing that ever happened and at the same time, the greatest thing that ever happened to me on an expedition because it brought even more clarity to the rest of my life and the reasons I was doing things and to approach things in a much more humble way. I had gotten comfortable and I had made Mm -hmm. a mistake. Mother Nature will never let you think you got it all figured out. And I took for granted and i assumed mm-hmm. when i went out on this ice because i know the acoustics that this ice was solid i assumed and i didn't and i went in that's how it happened right and so yeah. anyhow, i ended up finishing that expedition but to make a long story short and i tell really long stories obviously you know, i I, right? I took a lot from that experience and it really taught me things that i came home and people were like oh my god and i said yeah it, it was rough for sure. I was completely frostbitten. I didn't lose my feet, but everything, all my toes went black and uh, the skin and, um, but I survived it and I, and it made me stronger and wiser for the next yeah. expeditions. You know,
0: that's key.
1: That's key. And you let your guard down, you know, it's um, yeah. And it's, it's humbling. And you know, I, I hear about that often, about people that have these, these near light or near death experiences. And, and the, the very first thing that they do is laugh. You know, and because they get caught with, you know, and they feel stupid. They're like, oh, shoot, I, I should have known. I should have. And it sounds like that might have been, you might have been, you know.
2: Oh, I, I, I was like, I'm alive. Because yeah. I just could not believe Absolutely. that I was alive. I mean, that was, you know, the first thing I, mm-hmm. yeah, I can remember, like, it was yesterday. Like, it was mm-hmm. like all, it was like both celebration, giddiness, and a little bit of losing my mind. You know, yeah, like, I that think- I was, you know.
1: Yeah, and those flashbulb moments in our lives—they—they're they, created, right? Because your 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 brain is telling you, okay, remember that feeling and that moment specifically, because don't do it again. You know, oh, absolutely. Listen for the acoustics. Um, be intelligent. Be smart about it. Uh, your kids need you. Your your family needs you. Everybody needs you. You're alive on this planet. Um, so, you, would you say that since that that incident, how many years ago was that? I think it was
2: 2016 that I did that. I'm right. not exact. It's, like, it's called five years.
1: Yeah. So since then, you know, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, are you a little bit more careful? Do you, do you, do you take, yeah. do you take yeah. a lot less risks?
2: No, I don't think I, because the risk look, in planning that expedition and doing it, mm-hmm. I plan it more than my trips to the grocery store. I mean, I plan every step mm-hmm. over, over months, sometimes years of, of routing and navigation and, and, so I was as prepared as could be. I just took things for granted. And I, and I, you know, instead of being 51% humble, 49% got it figured out. I was 51%. I got it figured out 49% humble. You know what I'm saying? It was just a little bit out of balance as to how things should be. Now, leaving that expedition for sure, I continued to take equal risks in different capacities, but I have been on frozen rivers since then, where I know the ice is two meters thick. Uh, Last January on expedition up in the Canadian Arctic, and I'm freaked out though. Like absolutely Mm. terrified standing on that ice. So that'll take time to go away. But I'm at the same time much more, I'm planning even more, Dave. You know what I mean? I'm even more planning than I was before and preparing and saying to myself, okay, A, B, C, now let's do D, E, F, you know, everything.
1: And I guess that's yeah. one of the beautiful things about being, you know, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, because uh, what are you right now? You're, you're 51, right? 51, yeah. Yeah, And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, when you, when you go on these expeditions, when you're, if I were to go on these expeditions when I was 18, 25, you know, y- you take risks because you're young. Uh, and yeah. I think that I think that we're all guilty of making those really big stupid errors when we're younger and, and you know when you're on an expedition on a on a frozen uh, creek or a river you know you, you can't make those mistakes and so do you think that your age now is maybe uh, an advantage to you in your sport
2: yeah and I, I think it is and I think at the same time I think something in in what you said I am definitely more cautious with certain things like I'm obviously still a an avid mountain biker, and that's never changed. It's my passion, it's sort of my roots. So, although I train with running, I get out at least once a week on my mountain bike, but I don't ride the triple back, uh, you know, the double black diamond downhills anymore. I just don't. I've broken my ribs enough times. I, you know, I just, I'm like, no, you know what? I'm gonna go down the single black diamond instead, you know? So, that aspect. But I, I think there's um, an interesting thing in physiology, and it'll be interesting to see with your running as you age because you have this tremendous base and that base can really play well for an aging athlete. So from a physical perspective, in some ways I'm stronger and faster and fitter than I was in 30, when I was 35. But I think a lot of that is a mental component. Like I am very well versed now in my body after having been in my skin for 51 years, that I know what it feels like to suffer. And I know how far I can push my body to that limit and deal with it because I've been doing it for so long. Whereas someone perhaps who's younger has a harder time sort of gauging things, and so you're actually able to extract a little bit more performance out of that. So in preparation for my expeditions, I find things um, are actually better from that aspect. And of course, you know the age, you know the old wisdom age thing. I think that I age in my case has taught me more and more through the expeditions to um, not take things for granted, and to remain as humble as possible and not take yourself seriously. At my house, we have two daughters, 12 and 9. They're big-time trail runners, Nordic skiers, paddlers. They do it all. Their mom's a, you know, a really great ultra runner. And when you come in our house, there is nothing on the walls, anything. And this is our game, our personal choice. It's the way we're doing things. There's nothing that indicates what I do for a living, other than gear laying all over the place, which drives Kathy crazy but uh you know there's no pictures on walls of expeditions there's there's none of that stuff we have a big filing cabinet it's all tucked away in the filing cabinet because I want my kids to establish their own um identities in the stuff that they in the adventure that they love so that also helps me it's a double it's a double sword the other side of it is that it, it keeps me humble too I'm not staring at my face every day on the wall you know, and for me, it works. Everybody's different, you know, but I think the humility comes with age as well. You know, if if that's a, you know,
0: it's good though. Yeah. when when we can, uh, if we hang out with the right people, we might figure it out a little earlier, uh, Mm -hmm. along the way, which is always a good thing the the one that I wanted to play in front of you a little bit, you know, Alex Honnold, who, uh, climbed up El Capitan without a rope, uh, you know, everyone always said it was very risky. And I thought his characterization was the difference between risk and consequences. So risk is sort of the probability that someone something <clears throat> happens and consequence is the, the significance of what happens. So it might be a high risk being on a slack line, but six, feet, six inches over the ground doesn't matter. You fall off, consequences are low. So do you ever sort of try and figure that out? Like it's a, a play against probability and the impact of what might happen as you judge sort of each of those circumstances?
2: Yeah, there are specific projects that I've looked at <clears throat> that I'd like to do that I won't do because the probability or the risk ratio is too high that I would need to be rescued. Yeah, And I don't want to put anybody else at risk for the things that I choose to do in my career. So the things I'm doing are still really big projects that, that do have a tremendous amount of risk but the risk, is it the risk return ratio, the risk, you know, I'm cool with doing stuff when I'm at risk or my team is at risk or we know what we're doing. I'm not cool with putting others outside of the project or someone other than myself at risk for something that I want to achieve. So the minute it crosses that line, I immediately, I won't do it.
0: That's good. That's good. What's an example Um,
2: there are Arctic sea ice projects that I would Mm -hmm. like to do, you know, uh, coastal projects off of, um, you know, Northern Baffin on the sea ice where the sea ice is just not predictable anymore. The world has changed. Yeah. Most of the old sea ice, uh, is gone. And, um, now you're left with a refreeze every winter and that ice can just pull apart in seconds, you know, and you're in the ocean, right? It doesn't have any elasticity like a lot of the older Arctic ocean. ice. I remember i very good friends with a man named Richard Weber, one of these guys that we were talking about before. He's one of the cowboys, right? He's one of these guys that was doing stuff before it was cool, been to the North pole more times unsupported than maybe anyone in history. I'm not sure if I got that fact right, but he went from Russia, over the North Pole, the Russian coast over the North Pole to Canada, over the course of 110 days with another Russian guy, mm-hmm. and he's been to the North Pole and back unsupported, hundred and I think it was over 100 days. I mean, just crazy, ridiculous long mm-hmm. expeditions. And he tells me the stories of when that, you know, that sea ice was solid, you know, like it was there yeah, right. until May, June. They're on the ice, right. you know, and so, anyway, and so. Times have changed.
0: One of the things that we, we love digging into a little bit this idea of suffering and and what does that mean and and you're putting in yourself in a position where that's sort of part of the game, right? There's going to be some difficulty or you know not feeling great. How do you characterize like why are you going out there and suffering you know through cold or frostbite or I'm sure the desert heat or some of the other? elements of what you experience how do you feel about that it's a really good question because i never think about it mm. and i don't
2: mean that you know in, in some uh, funny way in, in and facetious way like i'll give you an example i've done a couple of projects in death valley off roads uh 2011 north to south completely off-road, and 2019, west to east, completely off-road over the Panamints and Amargosa Ranges through both times crossing the Badwater Basin, you know. And so you're out in the middle of the salt flats. It's a billion degrees out there. And I'll never forget the first time in, in 2011, I went with the same guy on both projects and we're doing this thing and I was in misery. Just, at, and I said, never again. I will never come back to this place ever again. <laughs> And then a couple of years goes by and you, you don't remember any of that. All you remember is like, wow, you know, the stars at night and I love the smell of those pinion junipers and that heat and all this stuff about Death Valley. And then in 2019 in July, I'm on the west to east and I'm in misery, you know, and it's a million degrees. What the hell So I forget, I forget how bad it can be. So I think that adventure and exploration, it's in every single person. I think what's so incredible and we've seen it during the COVID pandemic, is that people have an innate sense and capacity to achieve extraordinary things. There's no doubt about that. It exists in every person. And I think there's a little bit of an adventurer or an explorer in every person. It doesn't mean that you know, they're going to the South Pole or, or crossing the Arctic or whatever, but they're able to find resilience in life, right? They're able to find a, a way to get through when they think they can't. Yes. And so whatever that discomfort is that enables us to be very human it's a very human thing to yeah. push past limits right i mean you know this this vaccine one year to make a vaccine normally takes what are they they're still working on some of the vaccines that they've been working on for 10 years but but a bunch of people got together and said we can do this yeah. you know it was like the chlorofluorocarbons the cfcs or whatever in the you know, back in the day with the the cans, the aerosol cans, everybody. We got to change this. So it's I me, mean, when people get together, and everybody has that little bit of that explorer in them. You combine all of that together, you can you can do extraordinary things. So I think that from an individual perspective, you know, I think that 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 inhibition, um, when when push comes to shove, that suffering aspect is less so a physical thing, and it's much more. So a mental thing, and I, you're going to laugh because I've, I've been quoted as saying this because I believe it, that it's 90% mental, the other 10% is all in your head. And I think that everything that we do, like Dave goes and says, I'm going to run 260 kilometers in 24 hours. He see that right out from the outset. You can't tell me that's not going to hurt. He knows it's going to hurt. There's no, look, there's a deal he's made with himself. He's going to go and do this thing and it's going to hurt. But It's 24 hours, he says to himself, or however he says it. I know this is going to, but I really want to do this thing. You don't even, it's not an equation. It's not even part mm-hmm. of it. The, the yeah. You know
1: what I mean? And I, I find Ray, like we, we have, we all have a set of, uh, we all have a set of experiences with our own feelings and emotions in that moment. Right? Like I think scientifically, there's really no difference between when we eat chocolate and then we eat a pineapple. They don't really know in your brain where that really triggers and where it untriggers and kind of the truth of all that. But yet you have an experience with eating chocolate. You have an experience with eating pineapple. You have an experience with going for a two hour run. You have an experience with going and lifting heavy weights. Your experience and your truth is what you make it uh, of all of that. And and so, yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 you know, like you, Ray, and like you, Joe, I've had many experiences where you know um you know setting the canadian twenty four hour record let 's say you know twenty hours in i 'll be you know thinking about my own experience and be like, huh, okay, I thought it was going to hurt more than this, and so you know experiences with suffering and experience with pain and experience with with joy and experiencing with um, with with love and and all those different things it 's different for everyone and so but having this this idea of this, this 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 common oh hey running is hard and chocolate is tasty, well why,
0: <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so
1: you know, you can end up ha- you know creating your own narrative and having these very different experiences and relationships with with these different inputs that end up coming in. And so yeah, you know you could have had um, a, a very incredible life-changing experience with suffering, although somebody else would go, wait one second, you know, hurting is never, you know, I want to, I, I want to pull back and I want to choose comfort and, 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 uh, be secure in my, my, my warm apartment my entire life. But you know, that's kind of not living, isn't it? You know, and do you find that going out for these expeditions, do you find that going and experiencing the cold and going and going and experiencing hunger, going and experiencing fatigue, do you feel that, you know, maybe that's a little bit more of a human experience where you might go, wow, this is living life. Yeah, I mean, from a personal level, because I agree in, in that you said
2: it basically it's relative to each of our, each one of us as individuals. And what we experience in our lives, the great things you can't you can't explain to someone, you know, you go and you get off that treadmill, you know exactly what it feels like inside. Now, try to tell someone. Hmm. and you can't quite get the words exactly to replicate the feelings it's just like the most difficult challenges that we go through in life you can't compare those difficulties with what someone else is going through because it's it's a unique situation so hmm. my perspective for me in my life absolutely those things that i do i do them because i love them it's not like i go on expeditions that are really hard because i don't like them right i accept the entirety of what what it will take to see that sun in that angle of that sky when it's 55 degrees Celsius in the Atacama, standing in the middle of the Incan trail, which has not been stood in for 10,000 years. You know what I mean? Like it's just to be there, it's experience that there's a cost associated and it's all these other things, but it's worth it to me or to be in the Arctic and you know, I hold my my phone up and then, and then, I, you know, there's kids in classrooms that are patched in live and they can look at that. And I'm like, hey guys, it's minus 50. This is what minus 50 looks like. And there are kids in California watching this thing. And oh my God, there's snow, you know? So th- that's all worth it to me. You know, so and let's it's,
1: talk about that, Ray. You know, so so you know that's one of the things, Joe, that we haven't really jumped into is, is you know there are there are these kids in classrooms all over the place that are that are out following your adventures, rooting for you, and 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 learning a ton. So so tell us a little bit your your impossible to possible uh, mission and and a lot of the work that you've been doing through through your organization.
2: Yeah. So every one of my expeditions is connected to classrooms and through live websites and they become sort of learning or experiential learning portals to the area that I'm in. So when I ran across the Gobi desert, we use that opportunity to tell the story of the Mongolian culture and this thing called the Nadem festival that takes place in Mongolia every year. And I was the thread that tied together all these stories that, people were filming that were not anywhere near me on the expedition because I'm out in the middle of nowhere in these mountains and then they're out over that way and they're getting stuff. And so we tell these stories and the adventure becomes, and I got a tracker on me. So the students are following me on my, as I'm running and it's exciting for them to wake up the next morning and see how far I've gone. And then there's a story that impossible to possible is an extension of what I do. So, instead of me doing the expedition in impossible to possible i take a group of 4 to 5 youth ambassadors 16 to 21 years of age and they're selected from a pool of kids that apply and they go on an expedition to some far off part of the world it's free 100% free of charge and we combine their expedition with a curriculum so it's a little bit more beefy education because there's actually teachers and professors and sciencey people that go on the expedition to so help build this stuff And then they use their expedition to teach a subject like biodiversity in the Amazon. And you'll have thousands of kids on the other end in schools, patching through the live website. So the whole thing plays out live and it's like a week long learning event. And so everything's free. I'm a volunteer. People uh, have been volunteering on these expeditions for years. It takes a team of people. I think we've done 15 youth expeditions now all over the world and, yeah, just keep we keep on trucking with it. It's something that I'm very passionate about. It's what I love to yeah. do. And I love to, that's, we all find our thing, you know, that we're passionate mm-hmm. about that. And this is really what I'm passionate about at the end
0: of the day, you know? I love that. And, and you know, we role model behavior and then they will role model behavior. And that's how we, we make change happen. I'm going to try and connect a couple of points here and see if this works in, to what you've been up to. And so there's this intense curiosity. You know, we talk about this, intersection of curiosity and courage you know this this need to know and i gotta go find out so that's what ray is about i gotta see what it's like to be in the arctic i gotta go find out what the sahara is like and, and you have the courage to go do it but along the way there's there's some things that could get in the way of that which is that this fear of the unknown or that the low so what i've worked on a lot is the idea of trying to redefine the lows into the highs This idea that what I want to go find out is what would that feel like? Because the highs are sort of, they're they're sort of self-reinforcing. Our neurotransmitters do a good job. Dopamine does a great job of self-reinforcing a finish line. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't realize it, but it's dopamine that's making us do that. And it's deeper to reach inside of us to make the low into the journey and what we're looking for. How does it feel? when it's the hardest day and looking at it and saying, okay, this is what I came to find out and then see what we do with that. Because if we sort of set up the expectation, then we can go through it. But if it becomes sort of this gauntlet in the way, it's hard to get through it. How, how does that resonate with you that the low is the high? Yeah. You
2: know, because I, I've become an irritating eternal optimist in this second half of my life and I can't help it. Like I catch myself, I say, geez, it could be the worst part, the worst day on an expedition. And there's just this part of me that's, Oh, there's no way we're going to get through this, but there's this little spark inside. Me that, well, well, Maybe we will, you know, or maybe mm-hmm. Let, let's try this. There's always a, let's try, let's do it. So There's always like a pilot light burning. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and it and it just I just can't help but skew positive. Mm-hmm. So I, a buddy of mine that knows me really well, that's in my uh, covid bubble who I run with. He, he said to me the other day, I was talking about Christmas because the girls and I, we start counting down the days to Christmas. because It just happens to be the holiday that we, that we uh, celebrate and that we love. And so we start counting down about 80 days out, right? I mean, that's just how we are. And, and he's like, dude, what 80 days? He goes, every morning you wake up, it's like Christmas morning. I said, you know what? You're kind of right. Because for the first 30 years of my life, every day I woke up, it, there was a tinge of gray. There always was something. I started my day with a negative thought. Now I just can't help but not. You know, now everybody has good days and bad days. But sure. on expeditions, you have good days and bad days. And if anything, I've learned on expeditions about those bad days is the good ones come. You know, and when the good ones come, they make the bad ones seem less important. You know, Mm -hmm. in in, the analogy I used, I was having a conversation with a friend this morning and I said, you know, I've had a lot of dark days and I was able to find my way out of those days. It's like now if I walk into a room that's pitch black and I can't see anything, I can still find the light switch because I know how, right? I know how to turn Mm -hmm. the light on. And Mm -hmm. expeditions magnify that ability to do that.
0: Yeah, that's a powerful uh, enabler for all people listening oh, yeah. right? If they can have in their heart that there is a light switch that they control, right? This isn't about, you, Ray doesn't need anyone, right? That's the power of what we're finding in, in guys like Ray. You know, you, you, you've just tapped into it. You know, your, your well is tapped very effectively.
2: But you know, have you, if you, you guys, both of you guys get people calling you or emailing you or messaging you and during COVID, especially they're on the couch. They have never done anything physical. They probably don't own a pair of running shoes and they've just happened upon a story about you or read something or something. And they reach out to you and they say, listen, I was really inspired by what I saw. I, I, you know, I, I just have this, I may as well start now. I mean, I, I want to get healthy. I've never, ran before? I. How do you start? What do you do? Because immediately the mind is going to, well, if I can't run 5K, what's the point? And the advice I always give to them is, listen, get off the couch, walk to your front door, put whatever shoes on that you have, put those shoes on, take them off, walk back to the couch and sit there. That's day one. And then day two, walk back to the door, tie those same shoes on, go back outside. Now walk outside, go to the end of your laneway or the end of the the stoop if you live in an apartment building and then come back inside mm-hmm. and then put the shoes back and then go sit on the couch end of day two i mean you really have to start from the smallest steps but once you do you can build on those logarithmically and before you know it you're walking a kilometer which is a monumental achievement
1: right yeah, yeah celebrate those wins yeah yeah and i think Absolutely. that you know during a time like this during during quarantine and COVID. You know, people look to us, um, you know, the three of us, for for strength and resiliency because, you know, people are struggling, people are really struggling and they see, you know, um, you know, doing these these exhibitions, um, you, know, you know, what you do and you, they think, oh, I, I could never do that. Well, you know, and maybe I could look at, at what Ray is doing day to day and hour to hour. And maybe when you string all of those things together, all those reasonable or good choices, and so, no, I, I, you know, I think, Ray, you're, 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 uh, you're a light uh, in, in, in the world right now because I think that that's where people are looking for, for grit and resiliency is, is, is amongst uh, endurance athletes.
2: Yeah. And, and back at you on that. And I, you know, another thought that, Don, that comes to my mind, I want to ask you guys if, if you've noticed this in the things that you've done, but it's those tiny, tiny littlest things that can happen day to day that are fleeting moments, right? Like, give me a, a split second. It puts a smile on your face. It makes you happy. Happy, And if you're not aware, if you're in this sort of headspace where everything has got that gray, you'll forget about it. Mm. You forget. And then that just sort of builds upon itself. I've made this uh, practice. It was something that my wife, I remember teaching our kids when they were little. And it's every night before I go to bed, right before I fall asleep, last thing I do is I name three things, no matter how insignificant that I'm grateful for in the day. Like I have a thing that one of my daughters made that my toothbrush goes in and my toothpaste goes in, right? And most mornings I'll wake up and I put it in and it tips over and then it wants to fall over into the waste paper basket. And that's how I start my day. And then I got to go fishing around the But there's days when that doesn't happen, right? And those are great days, I gotta tell you. (laughs) So later in the, the, 12 hours later when I'm in bed, I remember. That could be one of the moments. So it's identifying those very small things that happen every day that are positive, that we can be appreciative and grateful towards. And then it just, and then those little things as well, Bill, Do yeah. you ever notice that? that those oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, even our, our last guest that we had yeah. on, John Foley, um, he's the, the, the gratitude guru. Um, you know, he, he, he you know, I think his line is, I'm glad to be here. Yep. And, you know, really it's, it's just, you know, living in a space of gratitude, um, you know, drawing reverence to that every single day. And yeah, you know, there's, there's 150 things that happen to you every day. Um, and some of them are, are, are not favorable, but I don't know. Do you really pick on those and focus on that for the next three hours and ruin your, your lunch? But Um, yeah,
0: it's so much context. And, Mm -hmm. And I know we're going a little longer here, but like, so if you're a football player, right. You get tackled, right? And that's in the game that's allowed. And you'll be like, that guy tackled me hard, right? If you're walking down the street and someone tackles you, that's not acceptable. So the context matters. And what we forget sometimes is the context of our life is that life is messy. Mm. It just is. And if we can sort of accept that we're going to get tackled, Yes. Then it's not so dramatic. It's like, okay, there are 25 things that are going to happen today that are not perfect. But that's right. what happens. And so it's not so dramatic. We don't like, oh my God, this is terrible. It's like, yep, I got tackled. And so that context switch in our head is so important. It's what you, Ray and Dave, do in your big events that you, if Dave is going to run across Canada, run. Hundred kilometers a day. Oh,
1: I right? need to forget it.
0: To the record, <laughs> and and it's there's <laughs> gonna be rainstorms, it, and oh. they're gonna fall down. And we, can you imagine the feet?
1: Can you oh, imagine yeah, the feet? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Feet yeah,
0: I I'm can't not wait. About
2: blisters. <laughs> I'm not talking about blisters. I'm talking. About remember, blisters.
0: Corey. We we interviewed Corey, and he talked about he set a record in um, the ice trail, and. We were talking to him, he's like, yeah, it went great. And at one point, finally in the podcast, he said, yeah, one day I get bit by so many mosquitoes that I couldn't stop running because it was like 100 bites. And he sort of had forgotten it. Like it was was part of what was going to happen. And he sort of accepted it on the way of the journey. So I feel like, you know, that's the mastery we have to help people sort of achieve, which Mm -hmm. is that this is what life is. Mm -hmm. And we need to feel stuff. And it's okay to sit on the couch. We're not going to judge anyone, but it isn't really what life is. Like that's not the opportunity that we were granted when we were sort of you got, on
2: Earth. You you have one kick at the can. It's yeah. not like a video game. It's not like there's a bunch oh. of lives to live. You have one, and it's and if you're lucky, you get 80 years. Yep. So the first 30, and <laughs> you know, I said, okay, let's start a game now. You know, and and. <laughs> So you got it. It doesn't matter what it is mm-hmm. that you do. I have a lot of people think that all my friends are adventure athletes and endurance people. They're not. I have friends that are writers, artists, different things that are completely not associated. But the one thing that they all have in common is they have this desire to find whatever it is in life that they're passionate about and pursue it
0: mm-hmm.
2: at least for a period of their lives. So that you can say when you're checking out, okay, you know, there was that one thing I wanted to do and I didn't. Yep. Doesn't matter what it is, you know, write a, a poem, whatever it is, you know.
0: Love what you do. That's yeah. what, you know, if you bring that mindset, people always say, you know, do what you love. That's nice. But why don't we just love what we do? Because mm. that's easier.
1: Because
0: when we figure that out, no it doubt. doesn't matter. Like, they may intersect, but they don't have to. And it's much easier to succeed. Let's make it easier to succeed. And so, mm-hmm. Ray, I mean, we could probably talk to you for hours. Um, so you got to tell us, sort of like there's there's a lot on your list, and I you're going to be back on the show. I know I say that a lot, but there are guys like you who are just going to keep exploring. Oh, and I'd love stories. to be. Yeah. So, so tell us what you're chasing tomorrow. What what's up next for you? Well,
2: you know what I've got a I've always got fifty million things on the go. I you know I my guiding business. I'm I'm guiding a bunch of clients next year in uh, the Atacama Desert in Siberia. Um, as things start to open up with COVID, I've got. Um, project that i'll potentially do in northwest territories this winter only if it's covid friendly and a couple of youth expeditions next year in winter 22 i'm planning an unsupported crossing north to south or south to north we're just ironing out those details uh of Ellesmere in canadian arctic so Mm -hmm. that'll be a really big project approximately 30 35 days unsupported um that's the most immediate on the horizon, but there's other probably back in Death Valley, you know, there's a couple of, you know, things I want to still do, you know, that I'm excited about, but I'm especially excited about our youth expeditions next year as well,
0: so. Mm. Well, you know, you're an inspiration and uh, most important, I love that you, uh, you took the first part of the story and you rewrote the second part. Um, and you're getting your money's worth while you're here, and you're a role model for the rest of us. So, mm-hmm. hey, look, let's, uh, let's meet out on uh, some ice cap one day and have some fun together. Or We'll meet out on the road when uh, Dave's doing his thing. And we'll Absolutely. We'll a couple of cappuccinos yeah. or
2: espressos. I, I, I or think, or, think I'm, I think I'm running runs. really
1: close to your place, aren't I? How, how far <laughs> off the transcan highway do you live?
2: Off the Trans. That what, what number would it be on the, when you go by my place, it would be like, Oh, I, I don't even know. yeah, yeah back, I don't even know
1: what, what yeah, the we'll, numbers are, we'll, yeah.
2: we'll totally take care of you. We'll be, I, I, I'm for sure. I'm, I'm in Chelsea.
1: Yeah. I live oh in Chelsea, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not far. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, then we, for sure. We have to, I have to know exactly when you're, well, I'll be back on before then. Yes, because that's yes, the best, yes. So we've got some yeah, time. So yeah. we'll, she's hundred K a day. I still can't even get over that. <laughs> I know we're supposed to wrap it up here, but I just have numbers just it doesn't
1: uh, compute yeah i'll 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 start on day one and, and we'll we'll figure it out and then and, and then get up for day two that's about <laughs> that <laughs> that's yeah.
0: the way to do it <laughs> yeah. yeah what to else are you gonna do, it? do
1: it? Yeah. yeah exactly
0: we'll exactly. run 10k with him Ray. you know yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put our fair share into it yeah, <laughs> exactly
2: perfect exactly. Wow. Exactly.
0: amazing thanks ray very much all right guys thank you enjoy for the holiday. yeah
2: happy holidays and happy holidays. Uh, i'll talk to you again soon okay
0: right, thank you Thanks, Dave, and I thought we were the adventurers. I guess we met the real deal with Ray. A true couch to triumph story for sure. His story is really amazing. And I can imagine that from where he started and what he's accomplished, he's an inspiration to so many people. I look forward to hearing more about his next adventures. And I'm, I'm going to rewatch Crossing the Sahara I keep saying to myself while I'm watching it, we interviewed Ray for the podcast. Now that's wicked cool. Well, there you have it, folks. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance T. You can find them on www.performancetea.com. And they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use chasing 20 to get the discount. And as always, if you have a topic or a guest you'd like to see on the show, Email us your ideas to info at chasing tomorrow podcast.com and a huge thanks to all of our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.